Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 14. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Thank you very much, Becca. Also, additional scriptures from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. Now this I say, and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk in the, as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God, because of ignorance that is that is in them, due to their hardness of the heart. But they have become callous, and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy, to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming you have heard about him, and were taught in him, in the truth, in Jesus. To put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, in corrupt, um, and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. We are currently in a series on the armor of God. Ephesians 4.13 tells us to put on the breastplate of righteousness in order to stand firm. Uh, verse 13 is so that we may be able to stand firm. There's a war going on in the unseen world. When you turn on the news and you see constantly good being called, being called evil, and evil being called good. The reaction, we should, the reaction we should have towards that is realizing who our true enemy is. It's not the person saying it. It's not another political party. It is the devil and his angels, which are bent on our destruction. The enemy uses those we know and even those we love. Why does this war go on? Because the kingdom of darkness hates the kingdom of light. All of us, without exception, was born into the kingdom of darkness, enemies of God in our minds. Then, when we gave up our will, our desires to God, Christ makes us a new creation. And we have now switched the kingdom of darkness for the kingdom of light, and the kingdom of darkness now hates us. When you be became a believer, you put a target on yourself. But God has not just left us on our own. He has given us armor. He has given us a way to fight, a way to stand. He has given us his armor. Last week, I talked about the first piece of this armor that's in Ephesians chapter 6. The first piece of the armor is truth. It is the belt of truth. Last week, I gave a rundown on the uses of the belt for the Roman legionari. I also talked about how important and indispensable truth is. However, many think that we have to sacrifice truth in order to gain unity. From J.C. Riley, I, I love this quote. Peace without truth is, truth is a false peace. It is the very peace of the devil. Today we are talking about not just truth, but also righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness. 
Truth and righteousness are indispensable, and they are interconnected, and they're inseparable. Try to take away one, and you will find you have taken away the other. A person can say that they stand on truth, but they are, they are living an unethical and immoral life. They have proven through their actions that they do not believe what they preach. In order to have the breastplate of righteousness, we need the belt of truth. When it comes to armor, most of our understanding of armor comes from the movies. And it, makes, it always makes me wonder, like, why do people even bother? I mean, take, like, for instance, the stormtroopers. Um, is there anything that can't just take out a stormtrooper? You know, even somebody had a stick and I saw them beat a stormtrooper up. When it comes to other things, when it comes to other uh, movies we see, like with people with armor in the Middle Ages or in the Roman times, people just go right through it like it's buttery soft. The only exception to this seems to be <coughs> Wonder Woman's bracelets. However, real life is not a movie. But in real life, armor was very effective. In real life, armor really freed the soldier up to um, conduct the battle in order to win the war. And the Romans were some of the best armored um, soldiers in their day. The good thing is that the movies are not real life because armor was very effective. It is not even close to how effective, though, our spiritual armor is. The metaphor just brushes against how incredibly protected we are in the hands of Jesus Christ. In his hands, nothing comes at us that is not according to his will. Armor is very effective, but it's nothing compared to the spiritual protection God's armor gives us. And the unfortunate thing is many people don't see it that way. They will go into battle without any armor on. They pay for it. There are a couple of, there's a couple other functions to armor other than simply protection as well, at least in the Roman days and truly in our, in our time as well. Um, other than just protection, one would be the type of armor you had signified who you were in the military whether you were a centurion or you were some other kind of leadership. People knew if you were wearing that kind of armor, they needed to listen to you on the battlefield. Other, one, other way was it was to distinguish, especially according to the colors that they wore, was who was a friend and who was an enemy. This is obviously very important in the middle of the, the chaos of battle to know who, who you should and should not be trying to stab. <laughs> Obviously, the, it has a correlation to our, to our life in Jesus Christ. Know who we're going after. Just because we disagree, maybe even on something politically or something else like that, we don't have to go after the person. We stand on the God's truth, and we do not sacrifice that even for a moment, but we need to know who the enemy truly is. Today, we're talking about the breastplate of righteousness. The Romans, they had many different styles of the cuirass that they would wear as their breastplate. You had the... Loraika Hamada, which was basically very early chain mail. This was heavier, more expensive. It didn't offer as good as protection. But for some reason, it was the most common armor for the Roman legionari. You can just chalk that up to normal bureaucracy. Obviously, somebody's like cousin built the Loraika Hamada. <laughs> it was longer. It was more expensive. There was other curious as well. There was the Loraika um, squamata, which was scale armor. What that means is the protective parts of it were little bits of metal that looked like um, looked like the scales of a fish or of a lizard. It was effective. These could be knocked off. Um, probably one of the more interesting ones, I think, though, is the loraica plumata. This was known as the feather arm, feather armor. Now, it wasn't armor that had feathers on it, but the metal bits in it looked like feathers. 
The reason why I like this one, it makes me chuckle, because I can just imagine, like, you know, a really strong, tough Roman legion, and they all look like a bunch of chickens coming at you. <laughs> I give up! I don't know how to fight chickens! Um, my favorite armor, the kind of armor that was used during Paul's time, was the Loraita Sigmatata. And instead of telling you about this, I have a I have a model to come out of the model. Rocky the Roman, if you please come out and show us the Loraita Sigmatata. Which is not the chicken armor. As you can see with the Loraita Sigmatata, it was segmented armor. It was made in this way, strips of metal that were heard to increase flexibility, but it also provided maximum protection. Oh. <laughs> Figure instead of just having Rocky to stand up here, so big noise. Um, in the middle of battle, right? Uh, Anything can happen. How well you, the first line of defense is the shield. We'll talk about the shield another time. Things get past the shield, and you need something to protect you. If you came in battle without this, all of this right here is vulnerable. <clears throat> and sorry, I did, I did not get that well for you. It's not very synced up. But, you know, obviously, um, he's wearing this. Somebody stabs him at the heart. It's deflected. They try to get the kidneys, the liver, all those areas that might that, that that would cost you your life. And it would be a really sad way to go because you, you don't even want those things to get through, but they would sometimes get through. They'd get past the shield, blindly strike at him. It was terrific. All the Roman armor was terrific when it came to slashing. The Sigmatata was great for piercing attacks. Um, another interesting thing about the Sigmatata. Now, the one I got doesn't have this, but normally they would have flaps up here, and that was in conjunction with your helmet. I'm not going to show this because he's not wearing the helmet, and I don't want to accidentally get his, get his neck. But when they would do a strike to the neck, when you're wearing the helmet, what do you do? Yep, you shrug. And it went in conjunction with your helmet piece, and it would stop the blade from taking your head off. Um, it's a little gruesome for Sunday morning. Anyway, sorry about that. Well, thank you very much, Rocky. The Roman breastplate, a breastplate, what does that protect? It protects all of the vulnerable areas, the most vulnerable areas in your body. More, more importantly than that, the easiest to get to. When you think about that, you might think of like, well, you can strike at the neck, you can strike at the arms. They're small targets compared to the chest. The more you can have the biggest part of you protected, the better it is. When you think about what the breastplate of righteousness protects, it protects our heart. It protects our heart. It protects those vulnerable areas, those deadly areas that the enemy wants to get to. Righteousness. What is righteousness? Out of all the Christianese words there are, I think this one might be the easiest to figure out on one's own. I could go in a big word study about the Koine Greek term for righteousness, but you already know what it is. It's doing the right thing. It's doing the right thing even when nobody's looking, even when there's no reward. It's doing the right thing inwardly and outwardly. 
But it's the seldom talked about virtue. I mean, you often hear somebody say somebody else's, you know, something's righteous out of a Ninja Turtle movie. It kind of it was like it was a bit of slang during the eighties and nineties. Righteous. You don't hear it much anymore. Think about it. When was the last time you used the word righteous outside a church? Better yet, when was the last time you used the word to describe a person? I think it bothers us to talk about someone being righteous because it reminds us how unrighteous we are. We seem to only worry about righteousness if somebody's being self-righteous. In fact, when me and Becca were looking at the word righteous and we're going through different things, we really didn't find a positive use of the word righteous when talking about another person. But we're told to put on righteousness. We prefer terms like he has a he or she has a good heart. She's really caring. She really cares about others. He's a real nice guy. We use terms like moral, good, worthy, virtue. But we have a real problem with righteous. Because righteous requires proof. You cannot just say they have a good heart. You say they're righteous. Then I need to see how they are righteous. Are you righteous? Well, are you walking in the right things? Are you doing the right thing? Righteousness really has been replaced. Actually, being able to do the right thing and people can see in your life doing the right thing has really been replaced um, by something else. This allows you to seem righteous without actually even having to do anything. Pejoratively, this is called virtue signaling. Yes. If you're not familiar with the term that virtue signaling is, you basically make a statement or something to that effect, and it's something everybody really agrees on, really believes in, but you make it seem like I'm the only one who believes in it, and these other people, they're the unrighteous people. I remember when I was in college, there was somebody who would harp on and on and on about feeding the poor. I kind of called this bluff one day, because I was part of a ministry team, and for, for um, spring break, we uh, went to Minneapolis to feed the poor. That's how we decided to spend our spring break as college students. And I told him, hey, we have a spot free. Do you want to come? No, 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 no. Too busy, too busy. Virtue, virtue signaling has supplanted righteousness because it's so much easier. You don't actually have to do anything. You just have to pretend you believe in something and then they, and create another side that doesn't and then say how much better you are than them. In Jesus' time, there was a lot of people who wanted to seem righteous, and he called them out for what they were. And they hated him for it, and they wanted to kill him. Why? Well, we have a real, pro pro we have a real problem with someone who actually is righteous. Mm. When talking about righteousness, um, I want to talk about the difference between imputed and imparted righteousness. Now, those terms you may have never heard of, and that's okay. When I started out this message last week, I was going along the angle of imputed righteousness. Now, imputed righteousness is fantastic. You've never heard the term before. You're learning it today. Imputed, what the word imputation means is to transfer benefit or harm from one party to another. Christ on the cross, he imputes his righteousness to you if you've accepted him, if you've repented and put your faith in him. God now sees you as the righteousness of Christ. This is something that is declared, it is not earned, it is given to the believer. That is why God can accept you into his heaven, into his family, because he sees you as Christ's righteousness. This was the angle I was going along, and I was, I was, you know, I was doing my notes, I was getting ready to write my sermon, 
And I, I, one of the things I'll do on sermons I, 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 I write and sermons I, I prepare is I'll read commentaries. I'll also listen to other preachers preach on the same thing because I want to know, am I saying something completely off base? I mean, who knows, right? And I was listening to another preacher who I really respect when it came to interpretation of the scripture on this very topic, and he was mentioning that he did not think that this was imputed righteousness that Paul was talking about. His reasoning was that he tells us to put on this righteousness. You do not put on imputed righteousness. It is put on you. So he is talking about something much different than that, something we can actually do, something we could put on. And then I was like, okay, well, that's unfortunate because I'm like halfway through my message and I got to scrap it or I got to stop pretending I'm preaching God's word and not my own agenda. So that's what I did. And imparted righteousness. Imparted righteousness is different from imputed righteousness. This is what we interact with with the Holy Spirit's work in our life. The Holy Spirit is constantly making us more and more righteous. For us, what that means is for us to either interact, for us to, for us to submit, or for us to rebel against what the Spirit is doing in our life. We put on righteousness when we submit to the Spirit's work, and we grow to become more like Jesus Christ. This can be seen. This can be seen. You can put this on. He sanctifies. When before we knew Jesus Christ... Nothing we did was righteous. That might seem crazy. It's like, of course, people who don't believe in Jesus can do good things in a societal sense. From God's point of view, he sees our heart. He sees the righteous deeds we do, and he sees what they're mixed with. And God, being pure light, being pure goodness, does not abide the person who gives, you know, $100,000 to some organization if they're only doing it so they get their name in the paper. In Isaiah, God said that their righteous deeds were like filthy rags. They turned God's stomach. You being washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, being a new creation, the Holy Spirit now makes your deeds righteous. This is a righteousness we choose to put on or not. This is the righteousness as we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, as it says in Philippians 2.12 that we work out our salvation, meaning the salvation of works. We are working out who God has made us to be. It's living in righteousness. When talking about living a righteous life, there's been forever these two pushes and pulls between between being self-righteous, meaning we're touting our righteousness over other people. We see our righteousness as something we are doing for God. We are putting God in our debt. There was a group of people around Jesus' time, the Pharisees, They were very self-righteous. Another term for this is legalistic. Doing all these things so I can get God's favor in it, so I can definitely show that I'm better than you, and we do not want to be on that side of things. That is not living righteously, that's living self-righteously. The other push and pull is on the other side of things that says, I can do whatever I want, I can indulge my sinful nature, because God gives me grace. To this, Paul said, should we continue to sin so that grace may increase? Absolutely not. The term for that is libertine. These two are extremes. They are enemies of the cross of Christ, and they are to be, we are to flee from them if we are to live in righteousness. We love the law of God, 
but knowing but we need to know three things about God's law, about righteousness in our life. Here's the first thing. One, we have a long way to go. No matter where you're at, you are so far from where God wants you to be. So you have nothing to say you're better than other people about. You're just on a different part of the highway than they are. You still have a long way to go. Two, um, you have come a long way. You have come a long way. Wherever you started, you should be able to see in your life that I have grown in holiness. If you cannot say that in your life, if you look at your life and you're like, no, I haven't really changed anything in my life since I got saved, you need to look at your life because one of the marks of being a Christian is a changed life. Amen. Yes. So you should be able to say, I have come a long way. I have a long way to go. The way I put this is no Christian should walk, no Christian should walk with a strut. You know what I mean by strut, you know, Saturday Night Live. Um, no Christian should walk with a strut, and no Christian should walk with a limp. We walk confidently, we walk purposefully. Here's the third thing. You are not in competition with anyone else. You are not in competition with anyone else. So much maybe of the anxiety we experience as Christians, we say, I am not where somebody else is. Where the problems with self-righteousness is I'm further than someone else. You are not in competition with anyone else. You test your own actions according to God's word. Living in righteousness, putting on righteousness is essential into doing that. In doing that. Earlier on in the same book, Paul actually shows us how to put on the breastplate of righteousness. He talks about the new self and the old self. He says the new self, which is right, which is true righteousness, and how to start living up to what God has created us to be. So one, as we go through the scripture today, we're going to talk about how to take off the old coat. Two, how to put on the armor. And three, what does that look like? Verses 17 through 22 is what, you, what I read for you today. Um, is I want to talk about um, getting ready to put on the armor. When the Roman legionary was off duty, he could wear whatever he wanted. Much like our own armed service, um, our own armed, armed service people can do today. When they're not on duty, they can wear what they want. But you better believe when it's time for active duty, they're in their uniform, they're in their gear. In order to do that, they have to take off what they were wearing to put on their uniform, to put on their gear. Rocky probably came in today with a very nice coat on. He did not wear that coat under the Larica, which is a very good idea because it's kind of oily and greasy. He had to take off the old coat to put on the armor. Just same with me and you, we have to take off the old self in order to put on the armor of God. Chapter 4 tells us how to take off the old self that we used to live. Now, it's hard to take off the old self. Not because we think it's, it's a bad idea, but because it's comfortable. Do you have an old shirt or some other item of clothing? Maybe your favorite chair. It's falling apart. It's all ratty. It's in threads. And all the wives are looking at their husband. Yeah, you sure do. <laughs> it's comfortable, though. It fits me. If I get a new chair, then it's going to have to learn my body shape all over again. It's not good, but it's what we know. You know, we sneer at the Jews when they're in the desert and they're complaining. And they say that they had it better in Egypt when they were slaves. But how often do we try to go back to an old life that we know is just empty wells? You know it's falling apart. 
And it won't give you anything but sorrow, but unfortunately, it's, it, it's what we know. It feels comfortable. Paul tells us, Paul tells the Ephesians not to walk like the Gentiles. The Bengals had a song that's, that said, walk like an Egyptian. But Paul tells his readers not to walk like Gentiles. You know, what is a Gentile? It's simply a non-Jew. What Paul's using here is a very clever way of doing things because he's talking about you were formerly not part of God's people who were Israel. But now God has grafted you in. And now when he's using the thing of Gentiles and Jews, that they are all, we are all now Jews, we are all God's people, you are no longer what you were. You are a new creation in Jesus Christ. The Gentile used to not be part of God's people. They are now. So they are no longer to walk as the Gentiles walk. They may or may not have been ethnically a Gentile, but now they are part of God's family. How do Gentiles walk? They walk in ignorance. They don't know the commands of God, but you do. They don't have the Holy Spirit who leads them into truth, but you do. They have hardened hearts, but you have a heart of flesh. They give themselves to sensuality, to greed, every kind of impurity. And if any of that sounds like you, stop it. It's not you any longer. It's not, it's not you now. You were washed. You died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Uh, you probably heard this definition of insanity before. It often gets attributed to um, Albert Einstein, even though I'm... I'm, I'm, po I'm positive he never said it. It makes me think of that quote from Abraham Lincoln, which is, don't believe everything you hear on the internet. <laughs> it's this. Doing the same thing over and over, expecting uh, to do the same thing over and over and expect different results is the definition of insanity. Well, you won't find that in the dictionary, and you won't find that in any psycho psychology book. I think the best summation of what insanity is is a break with reality. For you to live like you used to live is crazy. Because that's not you. It's not you. You find yourself falling back into the old way you used to live. That's not you. That's insane. You were washed. You've been made new. You were formerly part of the kingdom of darkness. You are now part of the kingdom of light. Take off the old coat. Take off the old coat. Christ bought it with his blood. Take off the old coat. Amen. If you don't do this, if you don't wear the armor, you are vulnerable to the enemy's attacks. I don't know how well this fits with the metaphors I've been using, but if you're not wearing the breastplate of righteousness, you are dangerously, you are dangerously vulnerable to the devil's attacks. As he attacks your, as he attacks your heart and mind. I went to Bible college. And I went to Bible college with a lot of people. Well, not a lot of people. It was a small college, only 300 people. But I knew a lot of people who were there, and they wanted to be pastors. I mean, they gave up four years of their life and probably $50,000 to become a pastor. But they had something they were holding on to, part of the old coat, that they didn't want to give up. On the weekends, they would do what they knew they were supposed to do. And on Monday morning... You kind of knew what happened because you knew the people crying at the altar had a bad weekend. But they wouldn't stop. They would just feel bad about it. They never just took it off. They just felt really bad about it. And that, that stopped them from putting on the breastplate of righteousness. Many of them didn't make it to graduation. 
Many of them got into the ministry, had a bad experience, and are no longer serving Christ. Some of them say they're no longer Christians. They went into the battle without the breastplate, and they were struck at their very heart. And metaphorically, their love for Christ spilled out. Put on the armor, verses 23 and 24. To put off the old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is constructed and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Put off the old self, put on the new self, which is righteous. Romans 13, 12. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. That's basically what Paul is saying here in verses 23 and 24. I just found it to be much more poetic. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Verse 23 and 24, cast off the old self, put on the new self, armor up. The night is gone for you. It may not feel like that. It may feel like in times when you are gripped by fear, when you are gripped by anxiety, that there is no light, but you are living in the light of the sun, S-O-N. This world, this world, dear believer, is the closest you will ever get to hell. Think about that. What do you have to fear what's coming up? This is the closest you'll ever get to hell. But what's sobering is, those we know and love who do not know Jesus Christ, this is the closest they'll get to heaven. You're no longer of the kingdom of darkness, you are the kingdom of light. How should you live no longer in the deeds of darkness? Put on the armor of light, the night is far gone. Now it's hard to keep on the armor. This really doesn't maybe pan well with the illustration uh, Rocky was in the Lorica, and it probably took a little while to get out of that Lorica. But I do have to say, when me and Becca were first putting together the breastplate, it was kind of difficult. It was actually kind of really difficult. I went online to see if anybody had any instructions, and there wasn't, which made me feel, you know, tons smart. Um, <laughs> but the spiritual armor and the breastplate of righteousness, it keeps wanting to come off. Every day we, every day we choose to put it on or not. We choose the old self or the new self. We choose to work against the Spirit's work in our life, or we submit to the Spirit to put that breastplate of righteousness on us. It is hard to put on. That's why we're told to renew our minds and our spirits. Sounds a lot like Romans 12, too. That there tells us the, that, that the acceptable act of worship is to be a living sacrifice, to no longer be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. This really doesn't. This really doesn't make this work. This really doesn't make it a work. It is something that we do, but it's not a work that we do. It's submitting to the Holy Spirit's work in our life, the renewing work of the Holy Spirit. The righteous things you do are not because you are better than anyone else. It's because you have yielded to the Word of God and to the Spirit's work in your life. In verse, 20, in verse 24, 
it talks about this new self that it is true righteousness. Paul uses the term true righteousness. It makes one wonder, what is false righteousness? False righteousness is the world's righteousness. It calls evil good and good evil. And more and more, if you want to be seen as righteous by this world, you will have to conform to their ideas of what it means to be righteous. And there are many who have definitely used that virtue signaling, knowing that they do not stand up to what God has asked them, has asked of them in righteousness. And instead of submitting, they rebel against the Spirit's work. And that leaves, that leaves their heart wide open for attack. Proverbs 4.23, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. How are you guarding your heart? Have you hidden his word in your heart that you're not sinning against him? Are you guarding your heart when it comes to things you know you're vulnerable against? And the only person who knows that is you. We have so misused the word trigger in our culture. To know what your triggers are is to know where your weaknesses are, and then you then you shore up those weaknesses. You don't make it everyone else's problem. You shore up your own weaknesses so that you can stand. This was as somebody who's worked in, in uh, the mental health field and helping young people who have addiction problems. We tell them their triggers so that they avoid them. Not go into them and, and blame somebody else for, for triggering that in them. If you have a problem with alcohol, stop going to the bar. Don't blame the bartender for serving you what you know you shouldn't be there to get. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. If we knew how valuable our heart was, we would guard it. We wouldn't try to get to how close to the line we could get without getting burned. We would put on a breastplate that would protect our heart from the fire. Paul doesn't just talk about the abstract here. He goes into detail in verses 25 through 32. I talk about when I got the breastplate, it was difficult to put on. In verses 25 through 32, Paul tells us how to put on the breastplate. This isn't an exhaustive list, list, but much applies to each and every one of us. Here are just a couple of these things as we go throughout here. We're to put away falsehood. Honesty, going back to truth. Truth and righteousness, interconnected. Here's the belt and the breastplate connection. Are you walking in honesty? Do people know you are an honest person? Or are you one who tells lies when it suits you best? When you put on righteousness, you also have to put on truth. A bit further down, he talks about anger. Anger gives the devil an opportunity. Anger can be... The open door for the devil in your life. In your angers, do not sin. Do you know where the line is? When it comes for you, when it comes to being angry and sinning. I think one very obvious one is when we forget who the true enemy is. When we start hating our neighbor, we have sinned in our anger. Anger, being angry is not righteousness. If we hold on to anger past maybe a day, we sin. Then we give the devil an opportunity. How many people, because they were angry, well-intentioned people, have allowed the devil to work in their lives? Andrew Clavin, he's a playwright for Hollywood. This is one of of his quotes that I really like. Is anger is the devil's cocaine. 
It feels good to be angry. Isn't that a weird thing? A lot of people are like, no, no, I hate being angry. Really? When you have a righteous anger, I mean, the, 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 when vein is starting to pop out, you're right, they're wrong, you've got to do something about it. We got It feels good. It feels like righteousness, but it's not. It feels like I am right, you are wrong, I have to do something about it. And then we start confusing who the true enemy is. And we pay a target on, on those who's, who he's using. How many well-meaning people have allowed the devil to use their anger for his own deeds? Further down, we're told about being productive to stop stealing if you were one who has stolen. We often miss this in church if we regulate people as givers and takers. The problem is that if we only look at somebody as a giver, we will deny them the opportunity to be productive and to share with the rest what God has given them. Everyone here needs to be a giver because that is what it means to be like Christ who gave himself for our sins. Finally, he tells us not to grieve the Holy Spirit. You ever wonder what that means to grieve the Holy Spirit? I've heard a lot of sermons on this. And, I mean, I was looking at this, and I started writing, and I had, to, I had to stop myself. I was like, Paul is not just throwing this out of nowhere. He's actually completing a thought towards the end of this about putting on the new self. That if we continue to hold on to the old self, that's how we believe the Holy Spirit. When we operate in dishonesty, in hate, in anger, not being productive, not sharing with others what God would have us share about living a life devoted to Christ. We quench the Holy Spirit. We stop the Holy Spirit's work in our life. It prevents you from putting on the armor of God. Mercer team, if you come up at this point. Putting on righteousness, like I said at the beginning of my message, is a topic we don't really like talking about. We're very focused and really, we're very focused on making people feel okay, unfortunately. It's a bit of just trying to be therapeutic in, in our preaching. And while we need to be encouraging, while I try to my best to be encouraging, I also need to challenge. I also need to show you how to take off the old self and put on the new self. And it is for your joy. It is for your joy. When was the last time you prayed to God, seek me, search me, and look inside me, see if there's any unclean thing? To be, to be a living sacrifice, which is the acceptable act of worship. Our worship, our worship is circumvented by the amount that we will hold on to the old self instead of putting on the new self. Our worship is circumvented because if we don't put on the new self, we are not being that living sacrifice, which is our acceptable act of worship. When we look at putting on the armor of God, we're told to do this so that we can stand. It worries me when people are kind of going out on a house to say demon hunting. And they're going after the devil's works and all that, but they're not putting on righteousness, they're not putting on, they're not putting on truth, because they're opening themselves up to incredible danger. And the Bible doesn't tell us seek and destroy. It says stand. Stand. The Roman curis, the Roman Loraica segmentata, it helped them stand. The enemy came at them like waves. And they stood their ground. They were the immovable object. 
They were the immovable object. They were the relentless force. And they would advance slowly. The enemy would try to pierce their armor and they couldn't, but they could pierce the enemy's armor. It's much more, it's much more for us in Christ. The enemy can't pierce our armor, it's God's armor. And it's not a 50-50 battle when it comes to the when it comes to the devil and God. That's another thing that we get confused with because of movies. We think, well, everything's equal, and it's just who really wants it more. No, the battle's already been won. Satan has absolutely no chance for victory. No wonder he's so furious. No matter, no wonder he's attacking truth. He's attacking righteousness like never before. He knows his time is short. We know his time is short. We know the time to share the good news for us is short. Amen. Whether that's the rapture or you could die on your way back home. Do the people in your life who you love and know know the good news of Jesus Christ? Tomorrow when you go to school, no, no, today before you leave this room, and tomorrow before you go to work, before you go to school, are you putting on the armor? Are you ready? Because when you go, you know, we think we go, we go to work, we go to our different activities, and it's just it's boring, it's lame, or maybe it's fun to study. No, we are going to war. If you're not putting on the breastplate of righteousness, you're going ill-prepared. Mm-hmm. Would you please pray with me? We'll be ending our service after the benediction. With a benediction, but first, we'll continue to worship. We'll continue to worship because this is the most important thing in our life. It is what we'll be doing in eternity, is worshiping the one and only Part of our worship as well is putting off, taking off the old self and putting on the new self, the one that God has fashioned for us. Lord God, I pray for us. As we venture into the darkness of this world, help us not to get confused thinking this world, the attitudes, the culture of this world is our friend realize that we are going into battle. Today, if you are listening to my words online or in person, you're like, I don't even understand. I don't know if I'm even part of the army of God. I don't know if I'm even part of the kingdom of light. I don't hate my sin. I mean, I don't like what happens. I don't like the consequences, but I just want to do what I want to do. But as you were preaching, I started hating the sin I once loved and started loving the righteousness I once ignored. That's the Holy Spirit's work in your life and not my words. That is the Holy Spirit drawing you to His family to become a new creation. Listen to His voice. Listen to his voice, because today is the day of salvation. You are not guaranteed tomorrow. Today is the day you fall upon the mercies of God. Repenting, what that means is not just to be sorry for my sins, but turn away to hate my sin. And to love the God whom I once ignored. Because once one, I just heard his, I heard verses, I said, hmm, that's good. But I never gave up my life to serve Him, to make Him Lord. Today is the day of salvation. And as we sing, as I pray, I would pray, I would urge you. This 
save in a simple prayer to God. You don't have to worry about the fancy language, but just to tell God, I am sorry for my sins. I give you my heart. I give you my life. I give you my will. I hate my sin, and I truly found out what it means to love you. Today is the day of salvation. Dear Christian, you are under you are under attack. Do you think the anxiety you feel comes out of nowhere is attack from the enemy? Put on the belt of truth, put on the breastplate of righteousness, so you may take your stand against the devil's works in your life. Worship.